0: Welcome to Britcham Cambodia and the UK Department for International Trades podcast series, Doing Business in Cambodia.
1: Hi everyone, my name is Jane Wilding and I'm the Executive Director for Britcham Cambodia and I'll be your host for today's podcast. Topic for today is women in entrepreneurship and I have with me Celia Boyd, who is the co-founder and managing director of SHE Investments. SHE Investments is a social enterprise established in 2015, which supports women in micro SMEs, creates social and economic impact for local communities. So Celia, welcome to the podcast series. Thank you. Super exciting to uh, interview today and hear about the inspiring stories of women in Cambodia. Could you tell me a little bit more about your role with SHE Investments and the work that you do?
0: Sure. So i um my role has recently changed so as of 7 days ago i actually stepped into a new role um but previous to that um since 2015 i've been um one of three co-founders of she and the managing director so basically my role was to to build the business so um we've gone from three co-founders essentially volunteers um sit, you know sharing a desk at a co-working space um, because we could not afford three desks um, and now built that over about six and a half years. Um, so now we are a team of over 30 based in five provinces of Cambodia. So my role until now has essentially been building that, um, building the partnerships, um, you know, managing the business and um, building a strong team. Uh, as well as working with my co-founders on the program design and the design of the the products and services that we provide for women. Um, But as of the 1st of April, I've now stepped back from that and I've stepped into a technical advisor role um, because we decided at the end of 2020 that it was it was time for us to kind of practice what we preach and become um, an organization for Khmer women that is led by Khmer women. So we hired a really amazing uh, Cambodian woman who is now our, our country manager. And so she's now the leader of SHE. Um, and I am kind of her right-hand woman and supporting her kind of more from the background and still doing business development. Um, but yeah, so I'm no longer the leader, but I'm, I'm still here. So my role's changed a fair bit I think it's superb to
1: for our listeners to hear the development of the organization and how you're empowering women even further um, by enabling them to take on the leadership roles within it. Um, I was quite interested when I read that 65% of Cambodian businesses are owned by women. Mm. I think a lot of our listeners would be very surprised by that. Can you describe the sort of women that are Cambodian entrepreneurs or find themselves in that position?
0: Sure, I think um, it's interesting because Khmer women are incredibly entrepreneurial and, as you said, like the majority of businesses in Cambodia are already run by women. Um, so I think there's a real difference between um, things like education levels, location, um, where entrepreneurs are based, what sector they're in. Um, in urban areas, you're more likely to find entrepreneurs who um you know, start a business because they're passionate about it, because they see a, sol- a problem that they want to solve. You might see more social um, entrepreneurs in in places like Phnom Penh, for example. Um, in places like Siem Reap, pre COVID, there'd be many tourist-focused um, businesses. And as you get to more rural areas or to um, kind of lower-income um, communities, even in urban areas, you'll often find many women are running a family business. Um, so you know, most businesses in Cambodia are family run um, or women run, but they're a family business. So, a lot of them, a lot of women do start businesses because it's a passion, because it's something that they want to do, but many also start it because that's how they make their livelihoods, because they've inherited the family business or um, they are, are running the family business. They, there's no other employment in that area. And so, that's how they make their income, basically. Um, and women in rural areas, we often find that they they tend to be almost unpaid labour in their own business. So, yeah, many different reasons.
1: And I guess some of those reasons are leading into the fact that quite a lot of the businesses here are not formally registered, so they're working on an informal basis. And um, There's obviously some barriers for women becoming more formal in their uh, business and their entrepreneurial skills. What mm. do you think some of those additional barriers are?
0: I think there are... You know there there are so many barriers to registering a business in Cambodia, f- uh, particularly for women. And um, you know, a, as a non-Khmer woman, I can I can woman sorry I can only say kind of what I observe and what we experience through our work. Um, but even as a business owner myself in Cambodia, it's incredibly difficult. Um, there's a lot of uh, governance um, barriers in place. There's it's not only um, difficulties in, in actually formally registering a business. There's many, many steps involved. Um, it's It can be quite complicated to get the information about what to do, um, to get the help to do it, to really know what ministry to register with. Sometimes you have to register with up to four ministries. It's It can be a really complicated process. Um, and even for, for myself, um, you know, I'm a white Woman from Australia, like I had the money to get someone to help me to do it. I have a team that helps me manage it each month. But the the barriers in terms of actually managing a registered business in Cambodia are also quite difficult. So unless you have you're making enough revenue each month to um, to justify it, um, which means you know having an accountant on staff, for example, to submit a monthly tax return, then it's really difficult to actually be compliant and to have good governance structures in place in the first place. So many women are not earning enough revenue to really justify that, Um, but there are a lot of gender barriers as well. So there are a lot of uh, barriers around um, just honestly blatant sexism, patriarchal structures, all of the things that, um, you know, would come across in the business sector in any country. But a lot of it also comes back to cultural barriers and women's self-confidence because uh, if you've been told for most of your life that you are not a leader and you're not, um, your place is at home, you know, Making dinner and looking after the kids, and it's not as an entrepreneur, and you don't really see yourself as an entrepreneur, you're not even really paying yourself a salary, it's really difficult to then get the confidence to actually go out and find the information you need to walk into um, a ministry or to ask a, an accountant or a lawyer to help you. Um it's really those things are it's difficult to have the confidence to do those things. Um, And so often people don't know where to start. They don't know where to get that information from in the first place. It's it's a very, we have to remember it's a really different culture. So when I first came to Cambodia, my immediate response to things is, oh, well, I'll just Google it. But that is, you know, every country is different. And so people don't look for information in the same places. And so it can be really difficult to actually find out what steps you need to take. And so many people don't do it because it's, it's just scary, it's hard and it's difficult and you don't want to do the wrong thing. So does SHE
1: Investments have specific initiatives to try and um, help the women overcome these problems? So it sounds like there's complications around formalisation, possibly some red tape and um, form-filling. You might also have some interpersonal uh, gaps, skill gaps Mm. around confidence, uh, guidance, uh, leadership, things like that. Is there any specific initiatives yeah, you can talk so about? Yeah,
0: so when we uh, run our incubator programs, um, for example, which is our inaugural and, and most commonly delivered program, that's for women with micro-sized informal enterprises um, who typically have less than five paid employees. So that program is really about enabling those women to gain the skills and the confidence to scale up their business then when we get to our accelerator program, that's for women who not only have the potential to really scale the business in terms of creating more than just a couple of new jobs, for example, and more significantly increasing their revenue, um, it's also for women who want to register. And we'll never pressure them to do that, but through that program we will help them try to build the understanding and the skills and the links to the information and sometimes the assistance that they need to to go through that process, so we try to give them the information and the training so that they can make an informed decision about whether or not formalizing their business is is the right thing for them.
1: That's superb. And and how do you attract entrepreneurs to the programs? How do you find these you know micro businesses with one one person, two people, mm. even even a five person business in a rural community? How do they come to she?
0: It's it, in in rural areas when we're new to a community. It's um, it's definitely harder because they don't know us yet. Um, in places like Phnom Penh and Siem Reap, it's not difficult at all for us to recruit participants. We often will have hundreds of applications for one program, um, and we have very strict selection criteria. Um, but when we go out into more rural provinces where they don't know us yet and we're new there. We have to kind of build that uh, reputation and build the trust. I think a really big part of it is building trust with people. Um, and so once we have that trust, women will often refer their friends to, to our programs. Um, so we do it, we recruit in a lot of different ways. One is certainly word of mouth and, uh, yeah, women referring other women. Um, another is Facebook, like Um, that's probably, that's a huge one for us. Obviously, we're in Cambodia and um, that's the number one form of communication. Um, And then we also work with partners. So we will often have a partner um, who will ask us to deliver an incubator program for women in their community, for example, that might be tailored to a specific industry, um, whether it be agriculture or wash, something that, you know, they might want to see a particular form of impact. Um, and then the way to, that we work together is we'll deliver an incubator program for those women that will help to scale up those businesses and, and provide positive outcomes as a result of that, if that makes sense.
1: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, it, it absolutely does. And I'm guessing that now you've got your um, Cambodian country manager in place, some of that visibility and trust is, mm. going, to, is going to even increase.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, our co-founder is um, a really, really amazing Khmer woman. Um, and she is our, has always been our head facilitator. So when we deliver our programs, uh, like you'll never see me in a classroom delivering a workshop, for example. It's always, um, Cambodian women delivering workshops for Cambodian women in Cambodian language and tailored to Cambodian culture. So that's, it's, it's been that way kind of since day one and, and we think that's why women really respond to the program and why they keep coming back because the programs are quite long. They're six to seven months, um, 13 full days that they have to take out of their business to attend as well as mentoring sessions and things like that. So we don't pay for them to be there. They actually have to pay a deposit to participate in the program at all, um, even if they're in a really rural village. But they keep coming back each month and and we think it's because it, it, we create that kind of accessible uh, program that is led by role models who look look like they do and who are who are true role models for those women so if i was delivering a workshop on business for cambridge women like i would never understand the challenges that they face so i'm not a role model for them so i think that's why that's another reason why we've been able to recruit more women because it's accessible to them it's not it's not like an incubator program that's designed for tech entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley that's been copied and pasted into Cambodia it's Cambodian women teaching them in their own language understanding the context and the challenges that they're facing and, and how to overcome them yeah and the challenges are completely different yeah they're exactly completely different here aren't they um, So the
1: way that the program works is you'll get a cohort of uh, individuals, a cohort of women working together Mm. over a six, seven month period. Yeah. Two days roughly,
0: two days a month. So about two days a month. um, And we engage men or a key influencing family member in the first part of that program to try to kind of bring them on board as well as um supporters and enablers. Um, so we try to work with these cohorts of between 10 to 15 women to try to create that kind of peer support network because a lot of the workshops are also about, you know, problem solving together and doing peer, uh peer problem solving and kind of supporting each other and understanding each other. And often women will come to these workshops and they'll kind of feel like they're quite alone in a lot of the challenges they're facing. But then they're in with this group of women that they've never met before and they start to realise that actually other people are facing the same problems and,
1: yeah. And a problem share is a problem half, does not it? The yeah. more they can share together, they can work together. And are, are all those sessions designed to be face-to-face sessions? I imagine at the moment that might be a little trickier yeah. um, in, you know, COVID times, but the, the way the programme was designed, was it face-to-face yes. workshops?
0: Yeah, it, it it's always been face-to-face. Um, every time we have a COVID outbreak or scare in Cambodia, we do go to online. The the issue is that um, we realised pretty quickly around this time last year that our digital literacy skills were significantly lower than what we expected. Um, And that pushed us to kind of try to figure out, okay, we thought, I think like any business owner at that time, we who had the privilege to do so, we were like, okay, well, maybe we'll just pause for a little bit. We're always so hectic and busy. Maybe we'll just have a bit of a, a pause and kind of you know, get get everything in order and do all, put all the systems and processes in place that you always mean to do. And we realised pretty quickly that we had to figure out how to reach this network of hundreds of women that we're supporting because they needed help more than ever, but they did not have the digital literacy skills for us to be able to reach them. So that was like, uh, it was in an interesting period because we're trying to figure out what to do. So we ended up actually creating an entirely new program, <laughs> another, like, eight-day program um, on top of that, which is essentially just digital skills for women with businesses. So we now run that parallel to our incubator programs. So as well as doing things like business training, we're also teaching women how to you know how to use Zoom, for example, so that they can attend a class, and then and then we'll realize, okay, people don't have an email address, or they don't know how to create an email address. So then we have to take a step backwards and we're like, okay, here's a video on how to create an email address. <laughs> so it's um, we've like we've learned a lot, and we are delivering online, and we're doing um, depending on the province, we're kind of doing a, a almost blended learning approach, and we're getting better at it, but it it is really hard because I think with any kind of learning, it's just never going to be the same um, online as it is in person. It's just like you just can't achieve the same results and you can't kind of create the same relationships. So that is, yeah, it's definitely an ongoing challenge.
1: Yeah, I think it's incredibly difficult to get um, good feedback Mm. from people when you're um, teaching only online and that kind of solidarity and encouragement that you get from a physical face-to-face group is much more difficult. Mm. Um, I certainly think it's very difficult to engage groups in Cambodia online because, as you say, the digital skills, even though the usage of phones and penetration of mobile phones and smartphones and Facebook usage and so on is quite high, the digital skill level is not on a par with that, certainly not in the mm. rural areas. So you've got, as you say, some some basic challenges there, mm. which is if you're looking at formalising the work that an entrepreneur is doing and you're looking at the basis of that, how to get them online or how to get them um, running their business online without an email address and without anything other than Facebook usage, it's quite a challenge, isn't it?
0: For sure. And women tend to get lost, like they get tend to get left behind when these kinds of conversations start around COVID, like, oh, we're going to see this huge uptake in things like um, in tech businesses and e-commerce platforms and like delivery services and all this kind of stuff, but it, people fail to realise that you have to, if you're going to support women to be included in that kind of increasing digital, deco- digital economy, then you have to, like, enable them to do that, to, to onboard into that, for example, so... Even uh, The digital literacy program includes things like, okay, so you will have smartphones, awesome. Um, We have an entire workshop just on taking good photos um, and really short videos with the smartphone that you already have because otherwise what you find is these, you know, online marketplaces that are filled with businesses that are like there's no picture and it just says one kilo, one dollar. So you've got to give people the skills to be able to fully participate in that, um, in these digital platforms, and in the economy moving forwards, otherwise, um, they just, yeah, they'll be completely left behind. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? So you, I mean, you've touched on some of the
1: kind of skills that you're looking at um, supporting these entrepreneurs. You've talked about digital skills, content creation, formalisation of their businesses. Is there anything else that that um, fields and skills that Cambodia? Um, needs to be focusing on to support women in business here?
0: I think um, probably the most important thing from our perspective is realizing that women entrepreneurs don't necessarily need more help than any other entrepreneurs, but they need a different kind of help, a different kind of support. They're not like victims that need to be handed a startup or capital, or anything like this to, you know, they don't need to be handed a business to help them. They're already doing it, and they're doing it, they're very capable of doing that. They just need a different kind of support, and so everything that we do through our programs has, you know, agenda a lens applied, which basically means that every single session, every workshop, the way that we re- advertise a program and recruit participants through to the way we, deliver and then evaluate the program is done in a way that acknowledges the participants and what their needs are. So, for example, if we're delivering a session on uh, negotiation skills, then we acknowledge things like who are they going to need to be negotiating with? Do they need to have the confidence to negotiate with a supplier? Do they have a voice within their family business or their household to be able to voice their opinion when selecting a supplier? Um, Do they need to actually learn how to negotiate with their family members, um, with their husbands or whoever else that might be? So um, there's just as much, you kind of have to look at it like a holistic thing. So rather than just immediately jumping into business skills, like, okay, financial management, cash flow, there's a lot that has to come before that. So financial literacy, for example, would probably be, I think, one of the most crucial needs um, for anyone in Cambodia, particularly for entrepreneurs and particularly for female entrepreneurs, because everyone kind of has this mentality that, or this idea that um, women in Cambodia are economically empowered because they manage the money. This is is what everyone says. Women manage the money, therefore, they are empowered. Mm -hmm. But... Managing, making decisions about school fees and groceries and essentially, essentially very gendered domestic expectations and you know household duties. That's very different to making decisions about should we invest in the business? Should we buy a car? Should we buy land? Like whether or not you have a voice in that decision making is very different to um, yeah. Well, I'm going to go to the market today and buy ingredients to cook dinner. So. Financial literacy starting at that household level and then understanding how to talk about money, how to um, manage a household money and then separate business and family money, for example, and then learn how to increase your decision-making over that money um, and have a voice in the decision-making about that money and then moving on to things like, okay, do you have a business budget? How much capital do you need? Do you have a cash flow forecast? How much money do you make each month? Most people don't know the difference between cash and profit. So understanding those differences, understanding you have to write down every day what comes in and what goes out, and then we can talk about how much money you're going to have in one month, and three months, and six months. And these things are very scary, and most people are afraid of money and they don't like to talk about it, but when you go through this process and you start to feel more confident about understanding your money um, it makes you feel a lot better, for one thing, because you know what's happening, you know what's going on. But it increases skills, but it also really increases confidence. It starts to help women actually see themselves as entrepreneurs. Um, that was a very long-winded answer. Sorry. Um, I think that like financial literacy is really important, but I think taking that gender lens, like acknowledging who you're working with and the context that they're running their business in. Um, is really important because not all entrepreneurs are the same. Obviously, the situations are different and women are very likely to be facing these very gendered barriers. So that needs to be applied through through whatever training program you're running with them. Superb. And I guess some of those
1: um, confidence skills and the ability to build future security... It's a, it's a self-fulfilling you know fulfilling cycle, mm. isn't it? Um, it gives them confidence online, gives them confidence to manage bank accounts online or on their mobile and so on. You've got a circle of um, virtuous behavior, if you like, so mm. of reinforcing um, how taking action can actually build future security, which I think certainly I've found living in Cambodia a long time that um, an awful lot of businesses are... Very nervous about looking forward. Very nervous even about looking mm. to tomorrow or next week or next month. It's it's quite a day to day society in times yes. at times, isn't it? Um, so that sounds that sounds super superb. Um, I bet you've probably got some really interesting stories about contributions that. Um, entre- female entrepreneurs have made to Cambodia. Is there anything specifically you think our listeners would love to hear about?
0: Yes. Oh, my God. There are so many amazing women running businesses in Cambodia. Um, and so we've, we've, we've got over 300 graduates so far. Um, and I think the ones that really stand out are the women who they might do an incubator and then they'll go on to do an accelerator and then they might go on to do like an investment readiness program and then they'll, they'll become a mentor for other women, for example. Um, so as an example, um, w- this really amazing woman called Tita, um, she was one of our first ever accelerator participants, and she runs um, a solar energy company in Cambodia, which is very rare for women, um, but it's not a super common um Thing in Cambodia for sure, and uh, so she scaled up her business quite a lot. Um, she created, I think, like twenty five new jobs. Um, significantly increased her revenue. She has a lot of young people and um, women as well who have absolutely no work experience and who are from different villages. Who she puts through internships um, through her business now, so they can start to really understand like the solar energy industry and. Um, you know, learn things like maintenance of solar panels and things like that. But Tita is like, she's such an amazing person, and she is just such a like powerhouse. You know, she's just been she's been running this business um, for well over ten years, and she just has this endless energy. Um, but she's so passionate about like why she's doing it. Um, she's so passionate about the fact that everyone deserves access to energy. And, um, and including people in, in, in rural areas. And it's it's cheaper and it's cleaner and it's more accessible for them. But she also is so passionate about supporting other women in business because she's been through so many challenges. So she um, has been a mentor for so many women. Um, she's often a speaker at our events and she's um, in the past year actually become one of our advisory board members. So she now advises us on like how we can do our programs and how we can support more women and um, she gives us a lot of advice and a lot of help. Um, she's like the busiest person alive and she dedicates so much time towards kind of giving back to women in in She's network, which is just amazing. But, you know, that's one woman and there are, there are so many women that are doing so many amazing things for the economy and they, they also tend to really care about their employees and... Um, hire other women and hire people with disabilities and um, we saw a lot in COVID for example like everyone's number one concern was their staff and if we started giving out assistant packages and stuff like that they would always use it for their staff they wouldn't use it to pay for things like rent or their own salaries or something like that they would they would use it to pay for like care packages for their staff members who weren't going to earn an income for a while or might might need, like, food packages for their families or something like that. Um, And I think people have this idea of an entrepreneur being, like, a a larger business, like an SME or a large business, but women with micro-enterprises, they might only employ a few people, but when you support a large number of those women to scale and they are able to increase their incomes and create new jobs for other people... um, they do so much with that and collectively that's a really massive shift. Like that's millions of dollars that goes into the economy every year from women who employ like five people um, and that's huge. That's huge for, for an emerging economy but for any economy and that's, that far exceeds, like far, far, far exceeds the investment that goes into them. Like... If if they I think collectively we did a um a review at the end of last year and the revenue revenue growth like the reported monthly revenue growth from graduates was over seven hundred thousand US dollars um and that was that was from less than three hundred women and that's like millions of dollars a year um there's we we invest nowhere near that into their training and mentoring like nowhere near that so that's huge that's like so many people being employed and purchasing products and essentially keeping the economy going, which obviously the past year has shown is extremely important to keep the private sector going. So, yeah, I could go on about that for a long time. So. Absolutely outstanding, $700,000 per month. Yeah, and these women are like, you know, the like the woman with the coffee cart on the street and woman in Barambang with a, a nail salon or like someone, yeah, with a solar energy company or someone selling honey, like they're not huge businesses, they're not employing hundreds of people, um, but they, they're doing really amazing things just on this very grassroots level that's not really recognised. That's Superb. Celia, I'm
1: fascinated and we could sit here for hours, but um, we're probably going to have to cut, cut the podcast um, short now. But um, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Um, what's the best
0: way of people getting hold of She Investments or finding out more about what you do? Good question. Um, so our website is sheinvestments.com. Don't forget the S, sheinvestments.com. Um, and then we're also on Facebook. Facebook is probably um, the easiest way to contact our team. Uh yeah.
1: Certainly the most important social media source in Cambodia.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> so they'll always get a response on Facebook. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank for having me. Please join us for the next Doing Business in Cambodia podcast, which will be available soon. For more information on Doing Business in Cambodia, please contact British Chamber of Commerce Cambodia or the British Embassy Phnom Penh.